0: Going back to the Jewish idea of it's that one day a week or that one time period that shapes the remaining six because it's the meaning making, it's that glimpse of eternity that Rabbi Heschel was talking about when the Sabbath Queen visits you, that you understand, oh, that's my real life. It's punching in the clock. That's not my real life. This other thing, this mystical thing, that's my real life. It's the keystone. It's, again, it's the recalibration through which everything else is reoriented and reprioritized for the rest of my my life or my week because it's the time in which, yes, I can get rest, I can get worship, but it's also the time in which I can spend practicing my spirituality.
1: This is episode 67 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. My name is Matt Bruff, and I'm a pastor and an author and your host for today. And we have an amazing conversation with Dana Trent, who is the author of several books, is a professor of world religions and critical thinking, and is an ordained Baptist minister, uh, also, she her first book uh, details this, and we talk about this just briefly at the beginning of the interview. Uh, we talk about how uh, she is married to uh, a man who is uh, practicing Hindu um, and uh, was a Hindu cleric at one time. And uh, so quite an interesting uh, person to have a conversation with. Uh, But this main conversation that we have today is about Sabbath, actually. Um, So Dana has uh, written a book previously called For Sabbath's Sake. And so we're going to talk all about Sabbath, um, which I think is a huge and important topic. Uh, We have talked about it before on this podcast, but um, uh, Dana and I really go into an awful lot about Sabbath, uh, why Uh, It's tough to practice Sabbath, why we have trouble resting. Um, And uh, I should say as well, we just had a blast with this conversation. Like we just had a really good time talking to one another. And at the very end of the interview, I invited her, you know, uh, would you come back on and talk? Because I know that she had another book that was coming out. But uh, that other book, uh, which is a book on meditation, actually, on Christian meditation, uh, it's called One Breath at a Time, and uh, that book is coming out January 1st, 2019, Uh, and what happened is uh, we recorded this episode, I invited her to come back, and she came back quickly, so actually I'm going to have a second part with Dana that will come out on the day that her book is out. So on New Year's Day, uh, the first uh, podcast of the year that'll come out uh, will be this second conversation with Dana as well. So if you like what you hear in this episode coming up, you can look for uh, part two with Dana where we talk all about One Breath at a Time, A Skeptic's Guide to Christian Meditation. Uh, So you can look forward to that. But today we talk about Sabbath and um, as always, you can go to uh, com, and you can find uh, all of the podcast episodes there kind of going back to all the way to episode one um, but you can also find some notes uh, that I do and there's actually quite a lot of notes for this one because we talk about so much. Um, so we talk about uh, how Sabbath is not ordinary time. Um, it's uh, also a privilege that we are given Uh, we talk about some amazing things about how, um, there are certain barriers that get in the way of Sabbath keeping, uh, some things for you to think about going forward after listening to this. Um, and you can find these, these are just right in those show notes on that page. So if you want to go and do further reflection around Sabbath and how you can practice Sabbath in your life, you can just go and find these on that webpage. Um, but I'm just going to share those with you now. Um, how can sabbath be the priority that you work toward how can you allow the sabbath day to shape the other six days in your week how can you better prepare for sabbath or better keep the boundaries of sabbath in what way can you start small to practice sabbath so this something dana talks about that you know, Can you set it, start by setting aside an afternoon or an hour or a meal with friends and see that as part of your Sabbath keeping? Uh, if you're a clergy person, how can you better model Sabbath for your congregation? So these are all in that things to think about category. Um, there's also a few links and resources like links to Dana's website um, and her books and a couple of other uh, books and a, a Another website that she mentions in the podcast. So you can all find that on that show notes page. So uh, just go to spiritualityforordinarypeople.com and you can find all of that there. Uh, So now uh, I hope you enjoy this. I really enjoyed talking with Dana and I think she had so much wisdom to share on what I think is a really important topic of slowing down, having rest, and trying once again to keep a sabbath day so here's my conversation with dana trent today i have dana trent on the podcast welcome dana it's great to have you here today
0: thanks so much for having me matt it's great to be here
1: yeah um i i think i said this recently on my podcast i just uh am continuing trends of having people from who i met or were at the festival of faith and writing last spring and so uh, we had a chance to meet there and it was uh really great so I'm, i'm thrilled to have you on today to kind of talk about Sabbath and maybe a few other things too.
0: Thanks so much. It's yeah. great to be here.
1: Um, before we get into uh, talking about Sabbath though, I wanted to ask you about your first book. I know you've got two books out and then a third one is On The Way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your first book is actually about, it's more of a memoir, I think, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's uh, called Saffron Cross, The Unlikely Story of How a Christian Minister Married a Hindu Monk. Uh, you being the Christian minister in that subtitle right yes Um, so I'd love to hear more about that and maybe even just like how you and your husband met and and how how does that work what is that unlikely story
0: Oh, great question. So, Fred and I met on eHarmony.com, actually. Have you heard of that in Canada? Do they yeah. have? Them? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. So, you've seen the commercials. Mm-hmm. So, we met on eHarmony in December of 2008. So, it's been almost 10 years this coming December. Wow. And we didn't, we didn't know about our various differences until we sort of dove into that online dating world of exchanging emails and setting up dates. And in one of his emails, he said to me, I've been a former monastic. And my first thought was, oh, he's Catholic. You know, okay, right. oh, this'll this will be nice. I can work with this. But then he revealed later, oh no, 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 no. I was a Hindu monastic and my world exploded because I thought, right. oh my gosh, I know nothing about Hinduism. How on earth are we gonna make this work? Right. It was actually a really amazing catalyst for our dating and then eventually our marriage, because we always had something to talk about. We always had something to relate about. We didn't always agree, of course, on <laughs> theology and scripture and practice. Practice. But it was wonderful because we're both so deeply entrenched in our traditions, and we care so deeply about our traditions. It was a bond from the beginning.
1: Were um, you already a pastor, did I?
0: Great question. So at that time in December 2008, I was actually working for Duke University. So I graduated from seminary, became a chaplain resident for one year, and then went back to higher ed administration. And I'm a full-time faculty member. So I've stayed sort of in that arena, but done some interim work in ministry.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you say a little more just about uh, how your relationship has worked and how that's maybe even changed over Ten years of marriage is a long time, actually.
0: Um, right, ten years that since we've known each other, and eight years of marriage. Oh, okay. so yeah. you're exactly right, though. And the book came out five years ago, so we were yeah. babies in this marriage. Right. We were like still in the honeymoon phase. It's crazy that we wrote this and lived this story and published it all at the same time. But the major points of contention were how do we worship together. What are our daily lives going to look like in terms of rituals and practices? And what are those big theological questions that we're going to need to navigate that are so different about the two traditions? And so we had to figure that out immediately from the start. And we ended up with this mantra that worked for us and has worked for eight years. And the mantra is, we always worship together. So I go to temple with Fred and he comes to church with me and we always participate in one another's festivals, holy days rituals, which is wonderful because it keeps us together and it keeps us grounded and, but it keeps us talking so that we're not off in our silos doing our own thing and not continuing the conversation about the differences and also the similarities.
1: Wow. That's, that's really incredible. Um, can I ask you about, um, pushback that you've received? Um, I'm assuming you've probably had pushback about the marriage or the relationship or in, especially with a a published book out there, people might kind of really, is this, is this something Christians want to talk about and promote? Um, and I think your, your tradition is, uh, is Baptist. Is that right?
0: It is Baptist.
1: It Um, is, and Baptist is a really broad uh, uh, theological tradition, actually. Um, So I don't want to make any assumptions about that, but um, but I would imagine there's been pushback.
0: There has, yeah right. The book came out in 2013 and Saffron Cross immediately was received really well in some communities, but we got a lot of pushback when we were on Rachel Held Evans' blog. Mm. She did an Ask a series. And so she featured us, Ask a Christian Minister and a Hindu monk. And there was tons of pushback from her audience and tons of support from her audience. And so among the Christian community, it sort of runs the gamut. It's either people totally get it and they're really on board or they just hate it. and Fred and I are both going to hell. It's, it's hard to find a, a middle ground. And in my tradition of Baptist, I was ordained Southern Baptist, which is super conservative, certainly would not accept this marriage. Mm-hmm. But I now attend an American Baptist church, which is mm-hmm. much more open, affirming and welcoming of this interfaith marriage. And so that's another way we've been able to make it work is that we are fully supported by our faith communities.
1: Okay. All right. That's really cool. I feel like we might have, like, that might have just opened up a whole conversation. Like, originally, I thought, oh, I'm going to talk to you about Sabbath, because that's the book that I've read. And <laughs> yeah. um, and this is a whole other area. But I but we will kind of step into Sabbath. And if people have got questions or wondering about this first book that we've just started with or mentioned, they should go and get it and read it. Because um, I know for me, just when I saw that, because I didn't realize that you'd written that first book, I, I kind of met you and then saw the Sabbath book and was intrigued by that. Um, but then I kind of wanted to go back and, and say, well, I kind of want to go read that story. Like it made me curious. So maybe there's listeners out there that'll be curious about that, that first one. So I'm, I'm glad we've been able to mention it here. briefly. Thank you anyway. me too. Yes. Um,
0: Thank you.
1: And, and by all means, if, uh, if kind of your understanding of Sabbath has probably been shaped a little bit by, um, your husband's Hindu practice and, um, And so that if that comes into the discussion, then that's, then that's great. People kind of know where you're coming from with that. Uh, So maybe we could just start basic as well as just, can you tell us what is Sabbath or how you understand what Sabbath is and maybe even share with us, what is it not?
0: Okay. Oh, great question. I love that. I don't think I've had that question yet. What is it not? Yeah. So Sabbath, my, my definition of Sabbath has evolved over time. And let's let's take a step back to Saccharone Cross as an example. There is a Sabbath-keeping chapter in Saccharone Cross, but it's all about worship. It's about that mantra that I talked about. It's about being in church or being in temple. And so that was the understanding of Sabbath that I grew up with. Sabbath was equated with going to church, full stop. Right. But then when I started to write this book and I was reading all the great theologians, Walter Brueggemann and Wayne Muller, and learning more about Sabbath, I realized that it's actually much more than worship. It's not only worship. It's rest, worship, and community. Those three threads were what emerged from the literature. What Sabbath is not is ordinary time. So anything we do in ordinary time, which is a tricky word for the church because it's also a liturgical season, but what I mean by ordinary time is mundane time of we're working, we're punching the clock, we're earning our money, you know, we're keeping the lights on, we're paying the rent. That is ordinary time. There's no meaning making. There's no sacred holy moments. It's just ordinary. So Sabbath is about stepping out of that ordinary time and into a sacred space or a sacred moment. That's the difference. Mm-hmm.
1: I think, um, one of the things that's been helpful for me is to think that, um, that Sabbath is not just a day off from your job, like from whatever your nine to five, whatever your paid for job. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's there's a deeper rest, like you're resting from other things as well. Like it took Mm -hmm. me a long time to realize, oh, right. Um, Like the Sabbath day or the day of rest is not the day to catch up on housework and chores and errands. Mm -hmm. Cause I I think we do a lot of that where, We're accustomed to having a weekend or we're accustomed to having a day off from work or a long weekend. And we're not necessarily accustomed to practicing Sabbath in those times when we are not working at our jobs.
0: You got it. We're still busy doing those mundane things. And there's nothing wrong with errands. There's nothing wrong with shopping, but we have to make sure that we know that that's not, that's not the meaning making of life. That's not the stuff that is going to refill our well. That's not the stuff that is going to bring us closer to God. It's not the the stuff of the internal journey. And it's not that which is going to connect us with community. And it's certainly not that which is going to equip us and strengthen us to be the gospel out in the world, to be the hands and feet of Christ's gospel. And so we do need to make that clear distinction. You're exactly right. The other distinction that I like to make, especially in today's economy, You know, I live in an American economy that is 24-7 capitalism. It is, you are going, you're buying, you're doing all the time. And I realized that not everybody, especially weekend workers, service industry, food industry workers, even have a day off you know? And so I'm very careful to say Sabbath can be an hour of sacred time. It can be an afternoon of sacred time on a Tuesday, because if you're working weekends, you're working the overnight shift, you're working in the service industry, you're not always off on Saturday and Sunday. And so I want to be very careful too, to make sure that people know that Sabbath, at least in American culture today is a privilege, quite frankly. Unfortunately, it's not a right anymore. So I think you're right. When we have that time off, we've got to delineate and make it special and also show gratitude and appreciation for that because not everybody has even time off. Hmm.
1: Yeah. You said a whole bunch of things as well about what kind of scratching the surface of what Sabbath does or um, or why it's important. Like what is, what's its function? What's its purpose? Like we have a sense for what it is, but Um, you seem to be kind of leaning towards saying, uh, that it, that it plays a role in, in filling us up and, and plays a major role in our connection with God. Well, is, is that, is that what it's doing? Is that what Sabbath is intended for?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Good question. So if we go back to the creation narrative, we have, a course, Sabbath is created in this seven-day narrative, this idea that God worked on six days and then God rested. So this rhythm of six and one. And we see that carry over in ancient Judaism and then eventually what leads to Christianity. And that sort of essence has been this idea that God takes a time apart from creating from doing in order to be in awe of creation so that's sort of the most basic meaning of sabbath and when we take time to be in awe of creation it's absolutely a refilling of the well and it's a stopping in order to recalibrate ourselves to the creator the one that has done the creating in order in order to be in awe of god now when we do that and we do that well A couple of things happen as a result. We rest. We are worshipful, meaning that we have a devotional posture towards God. And then, if we're doing this in community, we connect with each other. So, not only have we rested our bodies, reconnected with ourselves, reconnected with God, but we've also begun to build community, which is also equally important. So, there's a lot going on, but it's all based in this creation story and narrative of six and one. And it's the idea that that one day, a week, and this is true in the Jewish tradition too, shapes the remaining six and not the other way around. So that's the really important part.
1: Yeah. So can you tell us more about that? Like when you say that one day of the week shapes the other six, like what what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. And and not the other way. You seem to stress that that that's really important.
0: Exactly. So that one day, and if you've had a true Sabbath, you know what this feels like. And Matt, I'm sure that in your lifetime, you, you've had this one day that was so full of meaning and awe where you weren't doing anything Monday that you do at an ordinary time. And you saw how much that one day spilled over into the rest of your life, almost like you carried a glow with you for the rest of the week. Well, in Judaism, this is the purpose of Sabbath. That spirituality, that glow when the Sabbath queen has visited you remains with you throughout the entire week such that you can't wait to get to that Sabbath day again, that you need it so much. And so that's the idea. It's like that this one day becomes the priority and what we work towards as opposed to those six days a week that where we're making money and we're doing things and we're building things, we're creating things that we Think we are tricked, we are fooled into thinking is our real life. Right. That's not our real life. It actually happens on that one day or that one hour or afternoon, depending upon your your work schedule.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Can you back up a second? You said the Sabbath queen. Mm, a oh, Sabbath yeah. queen.
0: <laughs> there is, there is. Okay. I I love this. And I didn't put this in the book because I've learned this later. This is the beautiful thing about writing books. You go and you talk to people and you learn more. So one of my dear Jewish friends, Charles Britton, sent me this this wonderful piece of literature about the Sabbath Queen. And it's essentially, you could think of it in Christianity as the Holy Spirit. So when you're practicing Sabbath well, the Spirit or the Sabbath Queen will visit you and she will fill you with such joy and awe and meaning that it will radiate from your Sabbath for the whole week. Mm -hmm. And you know that you've had a Sabbath when the Sabbath Queen has blessed you with her presence, if that makes sense. So we can yeah. think of it as the spirit. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but I I kind of like the the image. Like uh some people might kind of pass over that and think, okay, that sounds really weird.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, right, right.
1: <laughs> but but I'm thinking about like um like we're fans of watching uh like Downton Abbey and The Crown mm-hmm. and um and so and and our like my family's uh British heritage, so I immediately think of like the Queen of England.
0: Mm, of course. Okay, yeah. so
1: so what would happen actually if the queen, the queen actually just showed up
0: Ooh. at
1: my house? Mm-hmm. Um, and if I was doing that well, I would have prepared a whole bunch of stuff before mm-hmm. so that I wasn't, ha- so that I would actually have, have time to spend with her. Not like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to miss, I wouldn't want to be like the the Martha in the story. I'd want to be the Mary in the story. Right. Like I, I wouldn't right. want to miss the time with her and then at the end go, wow, all I did was like go and like wash the dishes and like make sure that everything looked okay. Um, you know, I, I would prepare stuff in advance so I could spend time with her. And then imagine what the rest of my week or the rest of my life potentially would be like when I could say, oh my goodness, the queen actually came to my house. And,
0: exactly.
1: um, and that would actually impact the rest. It's a really neat image to think of that. Um, so yeah, fine. Let's think of it as the Holy Spirit. Like I think True. Mm-hmm. um but I wouldn't want to lose the imagery of the of the idea of uh, of royalty coming
0: to music. oh yes I, a, I totally agree image. and yeah. you've given me another story to tell so thanks for that I love it i'm going to use your story i love that's a great great analogy well yeah.
1: and I think one of the big things about the sabbath is, that i and I struggle with this uh, all the time every single week um is the uh is preparing um And, uh, and I know you might want to say more about this, but there's a, there's a day of preparation in uh, the Jewish tradition. Um, And if you, I know when I've been, I've been a pastor for a number of years and when I talk to uh, some of the older generation that sadly, I I think now that generation is even, is even dying out. Um, They were, you know, in their eighties and nineties, maybe a bit younger, but there are people around who can still remember the, idea of like all the chores and everything that ha- had to get done before Sunday um, before you were going to have the the Sabbath day and they had to all get done before then. Um, so you might want to say a little bit more about that because I think that's a missing piece for us is that we don't necessarily plan for it.
0: I agree. We don't keep the boundaries around yeah. Sabbath again, whether it's a day or an hour or an afternoon mm-hmm. and that preparation is, is really quite magical, mystical, maybe is the better word, mystical. And I had this feeling last Saturday, I was doing laundry and I thought, I've got to get this laundry done because I really want to have a Sabbath tomorrow. I really want it to be a day off. And that's what I love about Judaism is that no matter how devout or not devout you are in Judaism, on Friday night at sundown, All the Jews across the globe are preparing for Sabbath and everything stops. The laundry drops midfold. You know, you're you're done with whatever you need to do and you stop. And you have Sabbath, even if you are a secular Jew, it's a tradition that has gone on and on and on for centuries, for millennia. Yeah. And so, and that's so beautiful. And you're right, we're missing that from the Christian tradition. Our grandparents had that, our great-grandparents had that, but the, the issue is now that we don't have that fine line because we live in a 24-7 culture and economy where everything bleeds over into the nighttime, into the weekend, into the off hours. And so we have to be really, really careful and intentional about drawing those boundaries of preparation. So I think going back to your Queen Elizabeth um, analogy, that's a great one. It really is that preparation of the heart, preparation of our home perhaps as well, but most importantly, just preparing our minds and bodies for that time. Mm -hmm.
1: So Um, so what what is holding us back from from doing that. Like, I know it's the culture. It's a 24, 24, seven nature. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like our faith ought to have, ought to have deep resources for resisting culture.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Barbara, (laughs) Uh, I struggle with it. (laughs) Oh, I do too. I do too. And Barbara Brown Taylor says the community that rests together is equipped to resist together. Yeah. Yeah. And we have resources. We have the gospel. We've got examples in Jesus about Sabbath, but there's three things that keep us from practicing Sabbath. The first is our ego. We think that the world revolves around us and we think that we are the center and we don't think that God is the center, or at least we don't act like God is the center. And therefore, the second thing is we lack humility. We think that if we stop or we don't get that done or we don't answer that email, the world is going to fall apart. The third thing is trust. We lack trust. We don't trust in the fact that if we truly take Sabbath time this day, this afternoon, that it will bleed over and shape the next six days or hours or lifetime. We don't trust in that. And all of that takes practice, letting go of the ego, practicing humility, and practicing trust. That's really the three things that keep us from practicing Sabbath.
1: Okay. So that sounds like it's going to be pretty easy to overcome those. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Sounds like it. Right. Right. In theory, in theory, right. (laughs) Uh,
1: So like, are there, are there practical things that we can do? And is it just a matter of saying what I need to do is focus on some practical things in order to practice Sabbath or do it, are there things that I need to do to try to combat those three uh, things of the ego and, and how do I, how do I practice trusting? Um, what what would a strategy be?
0: Mm. If in for Sabbath's sake, I was very intentional about making this practical, especially for families, right? Because you're there's so much going on anyway in your lives if you have children or if mm. you're caregiving for somebody in your family, and so the idea is to start small. If you need to start with a Sabbath afternoon, start there. If it's a Sabbath hour, start there. If it's just recommitting to a worship practice or recommitting to getting more rest, if you need to put the phone down for 15 minutes, start there. You need to take a nap, start there have a face-to-face conversation with someone or have dinner in your community of faith or otherwise your neighborhood, you can start with those small steps and you'll gradually see that those glimpses of rest, worship, and community that recalibrate you towards God will leave you hungry and yearning for more such that you will drop the ego, you'll become more humble, and you'll trust. And most importantly, you will make time for Sabbath, for more and more Sabbath each week. It's about prioritizing, and that is so hard in today's world. But that's really what it boils down to. And I always say start small so that you can set yourself up to win.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's really good. Um, and again, it's, it's funny because it sounds easy. And for some reason it ends up not being, um, I think even the act of making the decision to set aside that hour and actually, you know, putting it on the calendar and deciding to keep that appointment of the hour of Sabbath or the afternoon of Sabbath. I think even the act of doing that is, is actually starting to develop your trust in God. It's, you know, as soon as we find reasons to not practice Sabbath, we're we're just kind of buying into those three things that make it harder to take it, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is really, really kind of interesting. Like if we're actually going to practice trusting in God, one of the best ways to do that is to in fact, take time off.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: 100%. And I, I think we miss that all the time. Like mm-hmm. even, even very devout Christians will start to fill their time with like, oh, um, I'm going I, I'm volunteering on three committees for my church and I'm going to go to Bible study because, uh, I've got to support the, the person who's leading it, or I've got to do this at the church. Like people get themselves busy, even with church things, and then are not really practicing Sabbath in the way that is going to connect them to God and to community. Mm-hmm. I see that happening all the time.
0: Oh, that's so true. And that's where clergy come in, in terms of modeling for parishioners. And, and I know you do this well, and you've got a really good grasp on this. And teaching parishioners, it's okay, it's okay not to participate in 200 committees. And also keeping sort of a checks and balances system on your church calendar, too, because churches can become very overprogrammed very easily. But I love the idea that you put forth, just putting an hour on the calendar shows trust in God that, okay, I'm putting this time aside and this is what I'm going to do for this hour a week.
1: Mm -hmm. Let's talk about clergy for a minute, because I think clergy are are pretty bad at this. (laughs) I'll just, I'll just put that out there. Um, You're not great at practicing Sabbath themselves.
0: They aren't. They aren't. And all the clergy that I interviewed for, for Sabbath's sake, wanted to remain anonymous for that reason. Yes. And so I did a lot of composite stories. I found that a lot of clergy were discouraged when it came to Sabbath. They couldn't make it work for themselves. Very few of them could keep the boundary because let's face it, clergy are weekend warriors, meaning that they work on the weekends. And maybe the Sabbath is a Monday or a Friday, depending upon what you choose. And I don't know what your, your preferences for your day, but anything could come up during that day. You know, you could have a person that has emergency surgery or a situation arise at church where you've got to drop what you're doing and go. Right. So it's really important though, that you reclaim that time when you can and draw a boundary and you're doing that gives other people permission to do the same. It's like parenting. You are modeling for your children the behavior that you want them to have. You're demonstrating it. So it's essential that clergy get on board with this message.
1: Mm-hmm. I've actually been thinking lately, and uh, I, I'm not doing this yet, um, but I, I would normally take Friday as my Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife actually has Friday off from work um, oh. right now, so that's really good. She works part-time and... and um, and so Friday is one of her, her time's off. Um, but I've been thinking lately that maybe that isn't necessarily the best Sabbath. Um, and that if there's a way to make Saturday, which is challenging as well, because Sunday's coming the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's sometimes events on Saturday and things like that. But I, I wonder if having like, I have a daughter, she's eight years old, but having her not really part of sabbath like we do a lot of things together on saturdays That's fine but we're not necessarily intentional about that being like i don't think of that as my day off i think yeah. of friday as my day off and then sometimes i got to get up early and do some stuff on saturday and so that i can then have some family time that day but i wonder if it'd be better to say well friday is really the day of preparation let's get as much stuff done as we can and so that we can actually be together as a family on on saturday um I don't know. That's just kind of, it popped into my head as you were speaking, just thinking through, there's also family demands to, to think about. And I know I have clergy friends or colleagues who they might take a Monday or a Friday off, but then they never see their kids. And I think, well, okay, that's great that you've got like maybe take an hour or two on a Monday or a Friday for that quiet time, because you're not necessarily going to get that on the weekend, but maybe there's other ways to, to structure things. Um, Yeah,
0: you're exactly right. The logistics of this is, has got to be determined by individuals and their families. That's why when people say you must take Sunday or you must take Saturday or one size fits all, I say, no, 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 no. One size does not fit all, especially in today's world. You have to, as a family unit or as a church or as a clergy staff, whatever it is, determine what's going to work best for you. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And I think your idea is great. And since you mentioned children, I do want to bring this up. I find that children are really good at Sabbath. They're so good at Sabbath because they love to play and they love to be in the moment and they want you right in the moment with them. And there is nothing more godly or mystical or beautiful and sacred than being in the moment with a child the way if you, if you, the scripture last Sunday was Jesus with with the child on his lap, you know, um, then being in the moment with children, I mean, gosh, it's, it's so lovely. That to me is Sabbath. And so looking to our children as our models, yes, we're modeling it for them, but they're also teaching us to be present because all the children that I've interacted with when it comes to Sabbath workshops, they all say, I want more time with my parents. Mm-hmm. I want more time with my family. And then so when great... does that
1: start to change?
0: Mm. I'm not a parent, yeah. so I don't know when the shift is. But, you know, the workshops that I have led that have been intergenerational where teenagers have been present even the teenagers express that, you know, even through high school, Mm -hmm. they're, they're saying, you know, I really would like more time with my family, including my siblings, because I think they're eager for that support system and those bonds and that community Mm -hmm. that they are not necessarily getting from social media or from their peers, because everything today in terms of connection and community is so different than it was even 10 years ago. So we're gonna to have to be very mindful of that with this generation coming
1: up. Yeah, for sure. I wonder too about this idea of modeling for children. Um that like when does that when does our poor modeling start to start to catch up to us? Um we did a retreat in our church last year and I can't remember exactly how the the conversation had gone, but it was actually around uh resting. We basically went away and uh, had about 40 people from our congregation go and do that. And, um, and one of the things we asked was, if you had a full day completely off what, what would you, what would you do in that day? And I think I remember the families, the so families were, had their kids with them um, and they all, it was all playing, you know, it was all playing and reading and, and, and that. Uh, And then, there was a group of uh, adults who were maybe uh, early retirement or maybe not quite retired. And they actually got it too. Like they, they, they were, they were, Oh, opportunity to be with family, you know, go for a walk. Like they, and it was, it was our young adults who didn't have kids yet. And uh, like on their list were things like um, watching Netflix right. and catching up on shopping. Yes. Like, Oh wow. I could actually go grocery shopping and not be like running to try. (laughs) Um, and so they, and they knew like, they they knew these were not great answers, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but it was just interesting to see the different generations interacting with that question Mm -hmm. and, and seeing how different life stages, um, Mm -hmm. will change how you respond to Sabbath or then how you find times of rest. Um,
0: Agreed. Yes. Again, it's a it's a one-size-fits-all. It does not fit all, rather. You can't do the one-size-fits-all when it comes to Sabbath. But you're right. It is. It, I do see threads according to generation and millennials in particular. I'm a millennial, but I'm on the older millennial side. We are the brunch generation, right? So we're the generation. We're the nuns and duns. And so we're starting the trend of we don't want to go to church. We'd rather go to brunch. And so I'm not surprised at all by the Netflix and the shopping answers because it's totally, that is that is very much a young adult answer. Mm-hmm. But the challenge is going to be, I think part of that is growing up in an era of the internet and social media and having the constant stimulation being exposed to that. Whereas when we take a day to think about not having it, it's sort of like, it, it, it makes me t- like have to catch my breath. Like, oh my gosh, what would I do? I would be so bored. So I think that's where that's coming from.
1: Yeah. And actually what's interesting, it was um, our young adults who planned the retreat because they are longing for this idea of a break, right? Right. Um, so it's really kind of, kind of interesting um, to see that. Play that's out. fascinating,
0: fascinating. Mm-hmm. It would be really interesting to follow up with them too, six months or a year later to see what happened. How they're doing. Yeah, how they're doing. Yes. And I love that you had the retreat at all. That's what more churches need to be doing, putting this on the table and talking about it and helping people work through it. That's important.
1: To me, Like I didn't realize what a key Sabbath was until a few years ago. And it's just become more and more like I remember even looking at um, ways to talk about discipleship in the church. And there would be certain practices of discipleship that are that I would talk about as as core to the faith and things like reading the Bible and prayer and worship. And so I over time, I kind of developed six things. And I should have known if you've got six, it's probably incomplete. You really need seven. Um, But I never had Sabbath on the list as its own category. It just was either in, uh, it's part of worship or it's part of prayer or something like that. Um, But now I really think it's its own, it's its own thing. And it's almost the key. I I feel like it's, there's something about it that seems like it's the key to unlocking all the other things. Um, And I don't know if that's been your experience as you've kind of delved more into it. Cause I know you said you've gone through this transition of it was Sabbath was really about going to church Mm -hmm. and then it's now become much, much more. And have you sensed that it kind of provides a key or a, a way of helping you in other areas of your spiritual life? Has that been true for you?
0: It has been true. It, it, it's the keystone. It's Again, it's the recalibration through which everything else is reoriented and reprioritized for the rest of my my life or my week, because it's the time in which, yes, I can get rest, I can get worship, but it's also the time in which I can spend practicing my spirituality, Mm. whether that's on an individual level and me connecting with God or me reading scripture in a group setting or connecting in community or working on behalf of social justice or resistance. It's all of those things. And so it's so important. Again, going back to the Jewish idea of it's that one day a week or that one time period that shapes the remaining six, because it's the meaning making, it's that glimpse, of eternity that Rabbi Heschel was talking about when the Sabbath queen visits you, that you understand, oh, that's my real life. It punching in the clock, that's not my real life. This other thing, this mystical thing, that's my real life. And everything else hinges on my doing that each week. You know
1: what? I think that might I, I think that connects right back to the creation story, right? Um, so God does that on the seventh day, but God also does that daily. Yes. Um, which I think sometimes we get, I think I've talked about this on the podcast with another guest, but, um, we sometimes forget about that God rested, uh, at the end of the day of mm-hmm. each day. Right. And he sits back and looks at creation, takes it in and calls it good, mm-hmm. um, and then he does that in a, on a bigger scale in a way on, on the seventh day, right? Um, but it's interesting to think of, of how we understand, how we make meaning um, and what what the real life is. Like I love this idea of Sabbath is showing you what, what the real life is and the rest of it is not really the real life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to think, what is the real life? Is it the act of creation that you're engaged in or the work that you're engaged in? Or is it when you sit back and look at it, and say, oh, yes, the reflection on it is what is actually helping you to understand and make meaning of the thing that you have been doing throughout your week. Is that right?
0: Oh, that's totally right. Okay, because I
1: feel like I'm just, I I just ramble these things and now (laughs) I'll check with you to make sure.
0: Oh, that was perfect. And that was beautiful and (laughs) articulate. And that's it. And I think it also shows you where the holes are. I think it shows you like, Oh my gosh, this is not what I want my my life to be like at all. So it's time for you to step back and say, yeah. "Whoa, I've got some reprioritizing to do." Right. And we are on the go so much that we don't step back to do that. And then all of a sudden we're unhappy, we're frustrated, we're disappointed. But it's often because we haven't taken this this time for introspection and reconnecting.
1: Right. Have you done any work on like looking at say days, weeks, seasons, Years because there's things in the scripture as well about, um, like sabbatical years Mm -hmm. or, yes, um, you know, letting land lie fallow and and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Because there, I think there's connections there, but I I wonder if you've looked at any of that or if that was part of your study for this book or anything.
0: I didn't do that on an academic level, I didn't look at Jubilee year or in in that sense of, of the biblical sense, but what I have learned through um, losing my mother last August, I've just been, I've just completed a year of grief and a season of grief. I have learned that there are these, these seasons of rhythm of life. And in a way that was a sabbatical year because it was a year of stopping and taking inventory, so to speak, and examining, What is my life really about, and who am I and, and and what does God need for me to be and who am I going to take care of now that my mother's gone? Mm -hmm. So that can be a form of a season. Another way to look at it is, you know, I can't remember who says this beautiful quote, but there are years that ask questions and there are years that give the answers Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that's also a Sabbath rhythm sometimes for us. But yes, the Jubilee Year is important. There is a church in Charlotte, Myers Park Baptist Church, that does a Jubilee Year. In fact, they're in the midst of it right now, and as a part of their seventy fifth anniversary, and they had a Sabbath retreat to explore this, to sort of step back and take account of okay who have we been, who are we now, and where are we going? And we can only look at this when we stop and we are in awe of God and see what's really happening in our community. So there's definitely something to that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, not everybody has the opportunity to have a sabbatical. Um, I I think people have opportunities for vacation. Some are shorter or longer than others. Um, And we were And that might be something that people can take advantage of or, or think about. And it's not that you're using the whole vacation to, Oh, I'm going to go on a two week silent retreat and, um, uh, and read the Bible all day and and that kind of thing. But, (laughs) but listeners may want to pay attention to like the kinds of vacations that they take or what they do. Like, I know people who will take vacation and really, and I do this, like I'll take vacation to work on a home home improvement project. Right. It's like, okay. Uh, there wasn't really a lot of downtime there. Um, And we were talking just before uh, my family just did a vacation to Disney world. Mm -hmm. And I was sharing that most of us had colds by the time we got back, because it was just like, we were just run off our feet running around Disney world. Like that's not, and that's fine. Those are good. Those are good, fine vacations. But if that's all you ever do is you don't actually stop. Um, And, and so you can get an opportunity sometimes where you've got, several days in a row where you could, if you chose to organize it in such a way that you have downtime. Um, I think that's an important thing. Um, So not necessarily just once a week or finding an hour here or an afternoon there, but then how do you look at that on a, on a broader basis? Like even every three months, do you take, you take two days in a row where you actually, you know, maybe go away for an even a, a night off somewhere overnight, or like, are there ways to build that into the, the regular pattern of your life and not just um, oh every tuesday afternoon
0: um yeah Agreed. Kind of getting a bigger, bigger chunk. And there's two two people that come to mind immediately. Wayne Muller's book, Sabbath. Mm-hmm. He's got an outline in the back of what a Sabbath day might look like if you were to go away and kind of create a retreat for yourself. And then Kate Wattemacher, who is the author of Following the Red Bird, she does a two-day retreat, I think every quarter, where she tries to get away, or sometimes it's just on her back porch, you know, on her screened-in porch, and she sleeps out there in a bag. Yeah. But it's, you know, she's stepping out of ordinary time. Right. And I, I think you're right. There's something to that. If we can swing that and really get some intentional time once a quarter, all, all the better, all the better. Um, there's other people, Reverend Vanna Fox, who fasts for 24 hours 24 to 48 hours as as a sabbath and that's usually i think once a quarter for her as well and there's a lot that can be revealed when we when we do that the key to that is keeping the intention holding the intention and the purpose The same for vacation. Disney World has a certain intention with it and a certain purpose, and it's a playful purpose, and there's nothing wrong with that. But also being careful to to balance it with, you know, perhaps we want to go on this retreat or we want to do something else different with vacation time next year or next month or whatever. So I think you're right. You're onto something. And the sad part is that I think the latest statistic, at least for the United States, is only something like 44% of American workers use their Vacation time each year. Yeah, I know. Isn't that wild? It is. So a lot of vacation goes untapped because people don't want to take vacation because they feel like when they get back, they're more overwhelmed than when they left. Right. Which I think also speaks to a whole nother issue. But but you're right. Being intentional with the, that time off and vacation time is important.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that happens with pastors. Getting back to pastors, that happens with pastors as well. I know a lot of pastors who don't take their. Uh, their full vacation or don't we have study leave in our denomination, like paid study leave. And, um, and a lot of pastors who don't use that. Um, And I just think, wow, like for me, I come at it from the other perspective. I just think, well, how are you surviving ministry? Right. Like, and I guess like eventually maybe some of them aren't, Um, you know, there's a high burnout rate and high dropout rate. Um, And again, if, if we're going to trust God, Yeah, there might be a big pile when you get back, but you know, who are we, who are we trusting in? Is it our to-do list, our calendar, our email Mm -hmm. or, and our own ability to deal with that? Or are we trusting in God? But I know it's easier said than done. Um, But But you have
0: nailed it. That's it. It does. It comes back to that trust and humility and, you know, just saying, you know, when I get back, I'm going to take this one day at a time and I've got to trust that it'll all get done. And it will, it will. It'll, you know, when we've tested that theory, it works. It, it, does, does. it does somehow all get done. So, but we've got to have that trust component.
1: It sure does. Well, this has been really good, Dana. I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you today. And I know I did, I think I mentioned at the beginning, you've got a, a another book coming out. Um, do you just want to quickly tell us what that is? Because maybe by the time this podcast is airing, um, it'll at least be close. I know, and I know you can already pre-order it. So
0: you can, you can. And thanks so much for having me. It's always so much fun to talk about Sabbath because it renews my, my, my interest and my spark for it. So thank you, Matt, for the opportunity.
1: Yeah. It renews my interest too. slash makes me feel guilty for not necessarily doing a great job. No no, no.
0: No guilt. It's a guilt-free zone. (laughs) No judgment. But yes, stay excited about it. That's the the key. And the book that comes out in January is actually tied to Sabbath as well. So it's called One Breath at a Time, A Skeptic's Guide to Christian Meditation. And you can pre-order it now on Amazon. It comes out January 1. It's a 40-day guide with five methods of Christian meditation. So the idea is how do you cultivate this contemplative spiritual practice part of Sabbath. And that was the part I was having trouble with. So I thought, okay, well, here's the next book. Let me explore this. And so One Breath at a Time will be out January 1. And I'm hoping that, I know it's been a tool for me for Sabbath. I'm hoping that it will be a tool for others for Sabbath as well.
1: Right. Were you a skeptic?
0: I was. I was only because I can't sit still. And as you can tell, I can't shut up. So,
1: Uh, okay, so um, I'm hoping that you can come back and
0: I'd talk, love to come back. We yeah. can talk
1: more about about the new book as well because I think, like I think that one would also really fit well with what our podcast is about—spirituality um, for ordinary people. Right. It's kind of just say, you know, sometimes, sometimes this stuff of spirituality kind of sounds weird, or mm-hmm strange or airy-fairy or something. Um, and I think um, the more I've delved into it and actually gone and read what people are writing or listened to what people are saying, it's actually not those things. Um, but it can give the impression of this sort of strange thing or, or this thing that maybe isn't really Christian. Sometimes, right. especially with like meditation, sometimes people have that response. They're like, well, is this really Christian? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I think that can be a really helpful conversation and uh, hopefully a helpful book for lots of people. Agreed.
0: Thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate
1: that. Yeah. It's been fun talking to you, Dana. Take
0: oh, care. likewise. Thanks. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Dana Trent as much as I enjoyed being in the conversation with her. Uh A reminder that we do, in fact, have her coming back on this podcast. We've already recorded the interview about her book on Christian meditation, and that podcast episode will be out on January 1st, 2019, the same day as her book release, uh, which can be pre ordered as well. If you would like to go and pre order it now, Uh, feel free to go and do that. Um, If you're enjoying these podcasts of Spirituality for Ordinary People, uh, I highly recommend that you uh, listen to this through iTunes or um, your podcast app on your phone or wherever. Um, you can subscribe and the episodes will just come to you automatically if you're not already doing that. But also, if you're able to, please go and leave a review and a rating for this podcast. Um, that really helps in people finding it, in spreading the word. Um, And while you're spreading the word, maybe share it with some friends or share it on social media if you found this helpful or if you want to support the podcast in some way, sharing it with others is a really helpful thing. Once again, thanks for listening today and take care.